Ephraim Zuroff is with us live via telephone. He is the uh, chief Nazi hunter of the Simon Wiesenthal Center and director of the center's Israel office and Eastern European Affairs, a Holocaust historian, popular lecturer, and author, lives in Yerushalayim and is with us live via telephone. The brand new book is entitled Our People, Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust. Ephraim Zuroff, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Honored to be here. Appreciate that very much. I am having difficulty pronouncing the name of your co-author. Could you share that with us? Sure. It's Ruta Vanagaita. How did you meet Ruta Vanagaita? Oh, that's an interesting story. Uh, Ruta uh, found out several years ago that two relatives of hers, her grandfather and her aunt's husband, had played a role in the persecution of Jews during the Shoah. She was really shocked by that. It was a real trauma for her, and she wanted to atone for it. And she came up with an idea to, to try and teach non-Jewish children in Lithuania all about uh, Jews, Jewish history, Jewish traditions. And she got a grant from the EU uh, to do this program called Being a Jew. And part of the program was, part of the grant was that she had to also have a conference on Holocaust education as part of the program. Right. But she didn't know who to ask. and She wasn't acquainted with the subject that well or anything like that. So she went to the people in Lithuania who were involved in it, and they said to her, listen, you can invite whomever you want, with two exceptions, Ephraim Zuroff and David Katz. So I don't know if the listeners know who David is. David is a world-renowned Yiddish scholar right. who came to Vilna to teach Yiddish, for many years had no involvement in local politics or anything, but when the Lithuanian government tried to put Jewish partisans who saved their lives by joining the Soviet partisans on trial for supposed war crimes against Lithuanian civilians, he began to understand that there's a serious problem in Lithuania in terms of the narrative of the Shoah. And he has a wonderful website, for those of you who are interested, called DefendingHistory.com. And um, he's one of the people who has actively combated what we call Holocaust distortion. So in other words, in Lithuania, in Lithuania, they don't deny that the Shoah took place. They just changed the narrative. The Germans and Austrians came to our, our country and murdered our Jews, Nebuch. Right. If you press them, they'll say, ah, there were a few degenerates, who, local degenerates, who, but they're marginal elements, not part of our society. Anyway, so Ruta, um, <laughs> Ruta being Ruta, she's a bit of an iconoclast. Uh, all she had to hear was that she can't invite Ephraim Zuroff and David Katz, and she, of course, invited us. <laughs> now, I couldn't come to the conference because I was already committed to a bunch of lectures in the States. It was on Yom HaShoah. But I came a month before that to protest against a neo-Nazi march in Vilna. And uh, I said to myself, let me meet this woman. You know, I, I hadn't been invited to speak in Lithuania in 25 years or 20 years already. And she was ready to pay my expenses and everything, even give me an honorarium. Oh, uh. So I meet, I meet Ruta, and, and she tells me the story. She tells me that her relatives were involved. Now, I had been coming to Lithuania dozens of times since Lithuania became independent. And I never met a single Lithuanian who ever admitted that their families or friends or family friends had been involved in, in the murders. And I couldn't believe it. Now, she was 
one of the most, if not the most popular author in Lithuania. Her previous book, before the book on the Shoah, had sold 50,000 copies in a country of less than two and a half million people. It was a book of advice to women at 50. In other words, for a lot of the people living in the villages, the women especially, their lives are over at 50, their, their, their husbands are drunk, or they don't have husbands, or they ran away, there's no love, there's no, no hope of love, and, 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 you know, finding a way to make life meaningful. And Ruta wrote a book explaining, giving them practical advice what to do. And I, I've been uh, in Lithuania with Ruta on more than one occasion, many occasions, in which people come up to her, who she has no idea who they are, they give her a big kiss, and they, and she, they say, you saved my life. Hmm, interesting. So Ephraim so, Zurov is with us live via telephones. Is this narrative different than, than what we're used to from other countries? In other words, you say that you never met anybody from Lithuania who admitted or, or spoke about their family's involvement in the Holocaust. But, I mean, one can, can also say the same about other countries as well, right? Not completely. In Germany, you have plenty of people who admit that their relatives were involved. Poland? Um, the, Poland, no. In other words, the, this is a, a classical Eastern European post-communist problem. Now, you have to remember something. When these countries, when the war was over, they basically exchanged a Nazi occupation for a Soviet occupation or communist domination. Right. Right. In other words, right. they didn't become liberal democracies. Right. So, and the Soviets did their own manipulation of the history of the Shoah. As a matter of fact, in, in, in the Soviet Union, they never used the word Holocaust till the late 70s or early 80s. And they never acknowledged the unique fate of the Jews during the Holocaust. Mm. And in other words, they did their own manipulation. So in other words, the, the, the locals didn't really understand the scope, know the scope, or want to know the scope, because you have to remember something. Only in Eastern Europe did collaboration with the Nazis include participation in systematic mass murder. Right. In other words, everywhere the Nazis tried to enlist local helpers, it was very important because they were short-handed and they wanted to show the local population supported the steps being taken. But, listen, outside of Eastern Europe, the helpers basically assisted in the initial stages, identifying, defining a Jew, identifying them, passing regulations making their lives impossible to earn a living, in some places putting them into a specific uh, residential area, and then rounding them up and putting them on trains, mostly trains, but in some cases on boats, to send them somewhere else to be murdered by someone else. Right. In other words, the Vichy police did, weren't the ones who mass murdered the Jews. Right. They, they the just, Dutch NSB, the same. They, just, they, I mean? they the, just helped a great deal. They prepared the stage. What they did is an accessory to murder. I'm not saying it to in any right. way condone what happened in Western, Northern, and Southern Europe. Right. But it's different than what happened in Eastern Europe. All right. What's different so about What's different about Lithuania? So Lithuania is a classic example. Uh, they had the highest percentage of victims in Eastern in in of all the large communities. There were 220,000 Jews living in Lithuania under the Nazi occupation of whom 212,000 were murdered. Now, there were less than 1,000 Germans in Lithuania during the Nazi occupation. And the murders were carried out, it was individual murder, because 90% of the people were shot right near their homes. Right. In other words, it's not like shoving 200 Jews into a gas chamber and dropping the Cyclone B. 
every single one of them has to be murdered personally. So that's an incredibly difficult logistic uh, operation. And there were 220 Jewish communities in Lithuania. So you need an incredible amount of manpower. The Germans didn't know Lithuanians. They didn't know the topography. They didn't know the geography. So they, had, they needed help, and the leadership, the political leadership of, of Lithuania, basically told the people who had served in, in their local administration before the first, first Russian occupation of 1940, of June 1940, to come back to serve the Germans. So, essenti- and so essentially, and, and we get this, I guess, from the title of the book, Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust, essentially it was a holocaust within a holocaust, meaning that the Germans set up, I don't know if we call it the attitude or the atmosphere, uh, you know, in Europe for that era, obviously, you know, and, and their and their dominance was was obvious. Uh, but in, but without the cooperation and without the uh, system that you just described in Lithuania, they would never have been able to have handled what they referred to. They would never have been able to handle their goal for Lithuanian Jews themselves would have been impossible logistically right correct okay that's that's absolutely correct and that's very accurate and uh, were all 220 communities in jeopardy were all 220 you know every single one of them in every single one of these communities lithuanians were actively involved and not only that there were quite a few places where the only murderers were lithuanians or there were some places where, for example, the only Germans present were photographing and they weren't even doing the shooting. It was Lithuanians doing the shooting. The, 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 shooting. the most well-known episode of Jews mass murdered in Lithuania would be what? Is there one? Listen, the mo- most single event, okay, it would be the mass murder of 10,000 Jews in Kovno on October 28, 1941 at the 9th Fort. The Tsar and the series of fortifications around the city and some of those fortifications were used as mass murder sites. And those Most were per- famous was the ninth, and, ninth fort. And those perpetrators were all Lithuanian. Primarily, almost all Lithuanians. Yeah. Uh, is there physical evidence? Now, listen, we we interviewed. Listen, we went to forty places of mass murder. Ruth and I. We went to thirty-five in Lithuania and five in Belarus. Listen, the, there was a Lithuanian unit sent to Belarus to kill to kill Belarusian Jews. They murdered twenty thousand Jews. What does one see? Forty-one and forty-two. What does one see when they tour those sites? What evidence is there? So in in Belarus, let, let's separate between the two. Belarus, the, the the monuments are with so in Sovietese, I would say. In other words, here lie peaceful Soviet citizens who were murdered by Hitlerite fascists. In other words, that's the way he was in the Soviet Union, because, as I said, they didn't acknowledge the fate of the Jews. And Belarus, Belarus is like, you want to know what the Soviet Union was like? Go visit Belarus. That's the thing closest to the Soviet Union. But in Lithuania itself, now the the monuments say they were murdered by the Nazis and their helpers. It was Jews. They identify the the victims as Jews. Um, But a lot of the places are neglected. No one comes. But when I ask, no, no. when I ask about evidence, I mean, do you see areas of mass graves? Do you see areas where there, there's, you know, proof? They're where, all hidden. They're hidden in forest. In Mo- Lithuania is a beautiful country, physically beautiful country. I get that they're hidden, but did, you, but did you see any of them? We saw. We saw. We went to thirty-five places like this. Oh, and and they did include actual physical, not just monuments, but actual physical evidence of what had happened there. No, listen, it wasn't as if we could go there and pick up bones. I understand that. But I'm saying but, what one could go there and say here on this spot is where this mass We murder- know exactly where the spot was because there's a wonderful atlas of the Holocaust in Lithuania. Wow. Which identifies every single 
uh, mass murder. There are 234 mass murder sites in Lithuania. And I sometimes very cynically say that the beauty of Lithuania is that any resident of the country can reach a place of mass murder within less than half an hour from his home. Unbelievable. You know, when I first read the book, I understood why it was important to write this book because, as you've described, you know, people think that this was a German-only and possibly even only Central European situation going on during World War II, and, and obviously that's an important message. But now that I speak with you, I, I, I get a better perspective, and that is that not only were all the perpetrators non-Germans, or the majority of them, as you describe, but they're incredible lessons for Jewish existence today that we could learn from this. If we think it's only the enemies of the Jews and the ones who are really outspoken, who are ready to, uh, who are ready to uh, unabashedly, um, uh, verbally and physically uh, uh, destroy Jews, one has to remember that there are a lot of accomplices in, in, in those types of arenas. Listen, for me... Forty years of Nazi hunting have taught me something, and that is one of the, to, me, to my mind, the horror of the Holocaust is that 99% of the people who carried out the murders were absolutely normative people. In other words, the Nazis were able to create a geopolitical uh, reality in which it was more normal to kill a Jew than to save a Jew. These people were not involved in, in criminal activity before the war. They were not involved in 99% of the cases, 98% of the cases in criminal activity after the war. But during World War II, they were a bunch of, you know, horrible, horrible criminals. And, and if we look... the most horrific thing. And if we look, frankly, at some of the places today on this planet who create, you know, where, where governments and, and movements create geopolitical atmospheres, you know, the, 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 again, you know, uh, there are people who, who follow blindly and are and are able to become or, or transform from, as you say, normative people to actual murderers. Right. That's a very, that's a very sad truth. So the, we had an enormous success with this book in Lithuania. It became a runaway bestseller. And the, but the only reason this book was published in Lithuania, and it was published first in Lithuania, was because Ruta's, Ruta went to the publisher, and as she's like the goose who laid the golden eggs, you understand, for the publisher. So she had written this book about women at 50, so we met with the publisher, and the publisher said, to Ruta, why don't you write a book about men? She goes, okay, I'll write a book about men, but first I'm gonna, you're going to publish another book, a book that I'm writing right now. Ah, Ruta, you're already writing a book. Well, that's wonderful. What are you writing about? The Holocaust. What, are you crazy? Who's going to buy a book on the Holocaust? She said to them, if you want me to continue with you, you're going to publish the book. So they made one condition. It's a very interesting condition, that Ruta not tell anybody what the subject of the book was until the book came out. Mm. And that was very important because it meant that the government was not ready for what happened. Right. And on the day before uh, International Holocaust Memorial Day, Ruta found the headquarters of the unit that murdered 70,000 Jews in Ponar outside Vilna. And in what, is, what was then an Italian restaurant, we launched a book along with two priests. She interviewed the two most popular priests in Lithuania, one Catholic, Lithuania is primarily a Catholic country, and one evangelical. And they said all the right things, how important it is to, to be truthful about history, how Lithuania has to face its history, and they were at, they were at the launch. So when the reporters and the press, the media, got a hold of the invitation, they couldn't understand what's going on. 
Ruta Venegaita, the most popular author on the Serena, writes about women at 50, together with Richard Davakis and Thomas Chernas, the two priests, one of whom is a national hero for some other reason, and Ephraim Zurov, the most hated Jew in Lithuania. <laughs> so, so what's it all about? What's going on here? And, and, and it, it, listen, they printed, the first printing was 2,000 copies, sold out in 48 hours, and eventually sold 20,000 copies, with this bestseller being 5,000 copies. And 100,000 people read it because there were lines of months for people to get it out of the public libraries. But the government ultimately took revenge on Ruta. And a year and a half later, when she questioned whether or not the Lithuanians should honor one of the heads of the anti-Soviet resistance after the war, and she read his file in the KGB archives, she had done a lot of research there, and she said it's not, she's not sure it's a good thing, the next day, her publisher announced they're breaking relations with her. They took all her books, all six books, only one of which was about the Shoah, out of the bookstores, 27,000 copies. And, she, and then they said initially they're going to turn it into toilet paper. Now, in the end, that's not what happened, and she actually got the books back. But she was stuck with them. No bookseller wanted to take her books. But now, finally, thank God, she's come out with a second book with Christoph Dickmann, Who's the most, the biggest expert, biggest historian expert on the hist on the history of the Shoah in Lithuania, and it's called "How Did It Happen?" And it's she asked the questions, all sorts of questions that aroused in the course of our book, things that she didn't understand in terms of the processes at work, and he answered her. And this is a guy who was appointed to the National Commission for the Investigation of the Holocaust, so they can't say that he's a Russian agent. You know, when when our book came out. Oh, Ruta's working for Putin. Then Zurov certainly is working for Putin, or for the Jews, or for both of them. Or we're being paid by both of them. And uh, the head of national security went on, na on national television and said that the book was a threat to Lithuanian security, as if Putin is going to come invade, invade Lithuania now that the book came out. Unbelievable. Is her life in danger over there? No, not anymore. Now, and, she's back in Lithuania, and her life is no longer in danger, thank God. But she spent three years in Israel. She speaks not a bad, Hebrew's not so bad. And, um, and, and is Lithuania angry, sad, combination? What is the... I don't mean... I don't mean... I don't mean the government of Lithuania. I'm saying the people in Lithuania. How, what, what is their mood after all this? The people, the younger people, I think, are, are on the one hand shocked, but thankful that the truth is being told. The older people, you know, Ruta told me a lot of stories. She was at, there's a big book fair in, in, um, in Vilna, the biggest one in the Baltics in the fall. And um, the year that the book came out, many, many elderly people came up to her and said, Thank you so much. Now we're finally talking about what happened to the Jews. Wow. And because each one felt that what had happened was only in their small town. They didn't realize that this was a national disaster right. everywhere. And uh, it gave them a certain sense that uh, the, truth, the truth must be told. I have to say, you know what? I'll tell you one story from the book that really brings tears to my heart. And, and, I, and I was on the verge of tears when, when this happened. We were in a town near where my grandfather was born. My grandfather's from Ligmian, and this is from Shnanshoneli, Novo Shvenziana in Yiddish. And we see an old woman. I, I saw an old woman leaving a, a grocery store, and she looked the right age to have been old enough to remember something from the war. 
So I said to Ruta, I, I don't speak Lithuanian, so I said to Ruta, go, go ask her. Maybe she remembers something. Okay. So she, her name was Olga, and she said that um, she had been friendly with the... She, her family was friendly with the Jewish family. Both families had two girls, one older, like about 15, and the other one, she was seven or eight, and her friend in the other family also the same age. And when the decree started against the Jews and it became clear that some very bad things might happen, there was a very intense discussion in her family whether her family can save her friend. So I said to her, I said, you, you must have been afraid of the Germans. She said, no, we were afraid of our neighbors. And she started crying. And I'm telling you, it was the most That proves your whole thing. point. That proves your whole point. Exactly. And, and I, I, I'm almost positive I can tell you that she had never told this story to anybody. It was like an enormous rock rolled off her heart. <sighs> she was finally able to speak to someone who could empathize with what she had gone through. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, when I read this book, I felt like I was reading one of the most important books about the uh, era of the Shoah, uh, and I, uh, I'm highly recommending it. Ephraim Zuroff uh, with us. The book is entitled Our People Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust. Our People Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust. And as we alluded to earlier, who knows in how many other countries this type of uh, scenario is duplicated uh, something to really keep in mind when we think about uh, the Shoah and the effect that the um, that the entire movement had on the uh, present and future of the Jewish people. Uh, our people discovering Lithuania's hidden Holocaust. Can I assume this book is uh, available in all the usual places? Yeah, in the usual places. Certainly in Amazon and you know the uh, Barnes and Noble and all of that. And a lot of the museums are selling. Wiesenthal Center is also selling it. And, and uh, it's gotten a lot of attention, I think. But listen, it's, it's, it's rather unique if you think about it. I'm, I'm a descendant of the victims. and I'm even named for my great-uncle, Rabbi Ephraim Zar, who's Rosh Hashiva in Horodich, and ran away to Vilna. I'll tell you one, one interesting story. We, I, one of the most dramatic things for me in the research that I did in my book on the Vanatzala, my Ph.D., was when I discovered the name of my great-uncle, his wife and his two boys, on a list of people who were sent Shanghai permits on May 16, 1941. Wow. Now, unfortunately, they, they were murdered in the Shoah. Apparently, they never got them, or they weren't able to use them, or whatever. He was one of these uh, Rosh Yeshiva who ran away to Vilna when Vilna was turned over to the Lithuanians by the Russians in 39. Mm-hmm. In any event, and I found his address. His address was on a list of people who had been sent to visas. So before we went on the mission, I went with Ruta to go to this building and to see if we could see the apartment where he was living with his wife and the two boys. So the entrance to, the, to that place where, where their apartment was was locked. And we looked around. Then someone stuck his head out from the same entrance. And Ruta starts telling him, listen, this guy came from Israel, his great-uncle lived here, he'd like to see the apartment. So the guy says to don't try and fool me. This guy, pointing to me, he's looking for the bad guys. <laughs> so, in other words, he knew who I was. Mm-hmm. The Nazi hunter, right? Yep. So, but anyway, he finally opened the, he opened the entrance, okay? So we go upstairs, we knock on the door, and no, no one answered. 
And then, after we left, we thanked the person and, and said to us, listen, I still don't believe you. Meaning? Meaning that I'm looking for Nazi war criminals. I'm not looking for my uncle, ah. for my great uncle. <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> now, he, he no, no, listen, I'm a very well-known, <laughs> you'll excuse me, but I have to tell you that I'm quite well-known in Lithuania. I'm probably the most hated Jew in the country, easily. Unbelievable. Uh, the book is called Our People, Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust. Ephraim Zurov, always an honor and pleasure to speak with you, and you always teach me and us a great deal, and I thank you for that. Thanks, Nachum. Great to be on the show and wish you and your crew much success. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Our People, Discovering Lithuania's Hidden Holocaust. I am highly recommending it. It's available Amazon and all the traditional places. Uh, check it out, everybody. Ephraim Zurov, Z-U-R-O-F-F, responsible for it. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. <laughs>